Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Good evening. Yes, welcome to Rescue Radio. Tonight we're going to be talking about the Yantala. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come before you, Lord God, to consider your word, your truth, Lord God, and the habits and the beliefs, the lies and the situations that Satan has put us in that have kept us, that have uh, caged us, that have kept us uh, unable to walk in the fullness of your spirit. And so, Father God, tonight I pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and heart to receive the revelation of your instruction, your word, your truth, your spirit. And in those places where we have been captive by these lies, I pray for deliverance. I pray that we would be able to cast off or cast down the strongholds that would hold on to us in these particular personal areas of expression. And uh, Father God, thank you, Lord God, that no weapon formed against us will prosper. That no word said, no deed done, no action taken, able to be used by anyone to hold us captive, to bring forth any shame, trouble, reproach, false humility, or hold back the revelation of your truth, your power, your peace, your works of miracles and gifts to us, Father God. So cover us, our families, those who work for us, pray for us, and love us, love us Father. And tonight I pray that you would give each of us, as you draw us near to you, an encouragement to know that you are love, and that love is a feeling, it's an emotion. And it's uh, being able to receive love is also a great gift. So, Father, give us guidance and direction. May we speak as the oracles of God tonight. May you give us instruction as the faithful counselor, faithful witness, Father God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight, honey, we've got a very interesting subject. It's it's kind of humorous, but it's really very sad. It's called the Yanta Law, or J-A-N-T-E, Yanta, Laven Law. It's, It's Scandinavian for... Uh, law, the, well, the, uh, the Yanta Law. Yeah, and, and a lot of people have never heard of this, and if you've, you've not heard of this, it's, it sounds kind of weird, is this, and yeah. it's, uh, but... Can I say something? Yeah. yeah, I know you're going to tell us a little bit about the history of it, but let me just kind of set this in a little bit of a short context, that we're talking about Scandinavian people, the, the Norse, and the, the Danish, the Finnish people. Swedes, Finnish, yeah. and... But but in context of, of what happens in the world, every nation has their own particular territorial spirits, particular um, stereotypical bondages, belief systems, favorite foods, all kinds of things. So we're not trying to pick on anybody tonight, but we are talking about the upper Midwest, uh, Minnesota in particular, where a lot of Scandinavian people settled and how this affects our culture. So I'm going to ask you a question and then you can give me the answer. Um, right. How did this get started? Where did this Yantala come from? Well, there's a there's a gentleman back in uh, the 1930s. His name was Axel Sandemos. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Sandemos, Axel, and he wrote a novel uh, that would be translated. Uh, uh, the title of it would be "A Fugitive, a fugitive Crosses His Tracks." Okay. That sounds weird. So, yeah. <laughs> A very interesting title, but the 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 story was a fictional 
The setting was a fictional small Danish town hmm? where no one is anonymous. It was a town ruled by pettiness, envy, backbiting gossip, uh, mm. inverted snobbery, and small-mindedness. Sounds like a fun place to live. Wow, let's 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 live go there. there. Uh, but anyway, sounds like a lot of typical Minnesota small towns. Well, you me, uh, I really believe that what happened there. He was observing these things. Okay, yeah. that was characteristic of the culture of his day. Mm-hmm or it was becoming characteristic of the culture of his day, and he wrote the novel uh, addressing that. So I, I don't think he actually created this Yante law, mm-hmm. but he developed these these 10 points, and, I, and I actually there's Summarizing. could be like 11, mm-hmm. these 10 points that uh, really were descriptive of what was going on in this fictional town, mm-hmm. but it was actually something that was going on in the mentality of the people right. that he was addressing. So a lot of people addressed social issues through novels in those days. For example, A Christmas Carol. Charles Dickens yeah. used that as a vehicle to criticize uh, the abuse that was taking place and abuses that were taking place in society, the lack of concern for the poor and yeah. and, and greed and so forth. So that was uh, apparently the, the setting in which uh, he wrote this novel. And the vehicle that they used to address issues when they didn't want to come right out and uh, get on their soapbox. So this was writing a novel. And so what has happened as a result of these kinds of petty, small-minded uh, ways of I think it all boils down to individual personal relationships. So you say, well, what does this have to do with me? It has everything to do with you if you're a Scandinavian or if you've, you live in a culture that's, that operates that way and you don't really understand what's going on. And um, I know one of the things that the, – what are some of the things? One of the things that's pretty characteristic, it's not too bad or – how is it? Well, one of the most ridiculous sayings that we have or expressions that we have yeah. in – in, in the upper Midwest, you don't really hear it so much in other parts of the country. And as people say, hey, how are you doing today? Oh, not too bad. Mm-hmm. Now, we, we, a lot of us say that. We just say it habitually. But what, let's break that down a little bit. Uh, yeah. It's negative. I'm not, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not too bad. So what's bad and what's too bad? Whatever <laughs> is bad and too bad, I'm not that. I'm a little better than Which that. Which <laughs> is, it's really hard to describe accurately what kind of what kind of yeah. shape you're in when you're yeah. using that expression. So, well, you know, one of the things that goes along with that, and I think was written by this author or by some Scandinavian author, uh, is that every joy you ha- with every joy you have to pay it for it with sorrow. There's there's like the waiting for the other shoe to fall. It's kind of like the anticipation of a negative thing. It's never delightful and celebrated. Celebratory. It's it's kind of like anticipating the negative bad thing uh, that's going to happen. You know, let me just say, if you if you compare a Scandinavian mindset with an Italian mindset, for example, uh, I think you begin to see the picture of the difference. Just knowing that the Italians, they're gregarious, loud, boisterous, food, dancing, noisy, happy. You know, laughing. Yeah. All that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Jovial. And then you have the Scandinavians, and it, you know. Uh, you were speaking. You were talking to me earlier tonight about how the uh, what was it the 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 Lutheran ladies? No, the well the the, the, the church ba- church Tr- basement ladies. If you ever you know, saw <laughs> this play, the long running. I think there were several different uh, parts to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, over the years at the uh, church 
uh, at the Plymouth Playhouse in, in the Twin Cities here. But that, I mean, I, I grew up, I'm half Norwegian, half Swede. Ooh, so you got it bad. I, you got it bad. I, I've been a victim <laughs> of the Yanta law big time. But yeah. anyway, going to that, going to being raised in a small uh, Lutheran you know, congregation mm-hmm. in a small town, rural community, going to that, I could identify. They hit it. It was they hit it so accurately. It was scary about just the the expressions mm-hmm. and the attitude, and and a lot of that yeah. is I see it now. There was a lot of that Iante law that was involved uh, in, in, well, in it, even well, in that play mm-hmm. that just kind of depicted so much truth of what really. Happens. It goes on in that uh, that culture. Well, it's kind of like they're all, it's always about the public they. What will they think of you? And in, in, when you're walking and living your life in terms of what they will think of you, you have to think about what they're going to think about you. So you have to plan ahead. You have to be prepared. You have to be very guarded. Guarded, and guarded and protected. You have to make sure that your casserole or your pot blessing dish that you're bringing is perfect and you probably bring seven of them to make sure that you know they're all perfect. And the, every, the frost Everything has to be just the bars. And don't, the, and don't put too many marshmallows on the Jello. Yeah, it's just—it's like there's so many unwritten rules about what you have to do to think ahead, so that people don't um, think poorly of you, and you want to make sure that they all like you. So you're very, very—it's an idolatrous kind of public day. I remember, by the way, I am um, not Scandinavian pretty much at all. I'm. German and Bohemian. If you can put those two together with Scandinavian, you can imagine what our marriage has been like. It's been, you can oh, yeah. you can laugh now. Here's a good place to laugh, everybody. Yeah, right. It's been it's been a you know either you laugh or you cry. No, I'm just. But I remember, honey, the first time we went to a pastor, our very first church out of Bible school, and I we were in our early um, I don't know 30s, I think. Yeah. And um, I remember the first you know interaction I had with the, the church ladies of this church. And we were going to do some centerpiece, centerpieces for this women's gathering or something. And I was going to, I suggested that they put something else on the table or something non-traditional. I don't remember what it was. It was just a little different than what they really had proposed to have. And I remember the the, 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 the wife of the deacon board, she came up and she says, well, what will they think? Don't you care what they're going to think about this? I said, I said, care about what they think? I mean, to me, this is totally foreign. What will they think? I have to give you a little background. I was raised uh, picketing, uh, you know, being political, uh, you know, uh, resisting. And, and my dad had us picketing different movements and causes when I was 10 years old. I mean, we were like out there in the political action and we didn't give a rip what people thought. Yeah, and yeah. we weren't, you know, we... We kind of like we're the town bullies, I think, in our area. I mean, it is, and so now we're coming to settle. And what will they think? I said, what, what's that? What, what is this concept mm-hmm. I have missed for thirty mm-hmm. years of my life? Yeah, and who who are they? Yeah, I know that's the big yeah. question, the big scary who are question. They? It's, 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 yeah, 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 they're they're the ones we got to be watching out for, but we never know who they are or what they very might think. They. Yeah. So one of the things that really becomes a very um. Ex- ex- no, no, you don't expose, you never expose your feelings. You, you, you're very guarded on your feelings. You don't let anybody get into your real true heart and mind. And so you're presenting to someone, in, when you're talking about relationships, and you're, you're presenting to them what you think they want to see. 
you know, it's like this. This is how I explain it to people. Let's just say I'm Scandinavian. I'm meeting someone for the first time. And so I'm going to be studying you to figure out what it is without asking you, without coming right out and asking you. I'm going to be studying you to see what it is you want in a friend, what you are looking for in me, what would you like me to be for you so that you could like me. So as I'm studying you, I realize there's a couple of things about me you might like. So those are not the things I'm going to present to you. I'm going to just be what you want me to be. I'm going to pretend. I'm going to be that friend. I'm going to, you know, whatever. And so I'm going to swallow, cover up, conceal, shut down my own identity so that you will like me because I want you to like me. That's a very important thing. But, but I discover after a few interactions that, you know what? I'm not pleasing to you, and you still aren't happy with me. And so now I am mad at you. I'm resenting you because I just gave up everything I am to be what you wanted me to be, and now you reject me. So this is kind of like the stumbling around in relationships that it's a passive-aggressive kind of thing where, um, you know, passive-aggressive is really very, I think it's a lot of divination because they present one way. Oh, yeah, we're coming. Well, you know, I'll be right there, honey. Um, and five minutes later, after, you know, you're obviously very late for wherever you're going, they show up. They didn't really want to go in the first place. Yeah, I'm coming, but they do everything to ruin it or to get you there late or to resist the actual going forward. So you see things are being pushed and pulled at the same time. You're trying to move forward with the brakes on, and it's a passive-aggressive. You, don't, you, you stay pretty much stuck and dormant in one place. Well, yeah, and, and uh, the, there's a privacy factor too because you, mm-hmm. your real, your real true feelings. Sometimes I think people live in, in they don't know really what their true feelings are. No, they because they're so used to dealing on the surface stuff and so guarded. Right. And if you share something very deep and personal they with get embarrassed. someone, it's it's embarrassing. Scary. It's it's could be shameful. Ah. And. The shame would be compounded if someone takes what you share with them and gossips. So you can never know, be known, and if you can never be known at that level of true, truly who you are, you can never have a true loving relationship because you're always having a you relationship feel, with someone who's pretending. Yeah, yeah and you never you feel it's, you never feel it's safe. So right, sure. and so you never know them, and you never feel it's safe. So therefore, you stay in that position of being just simply guarded. And I think that's part of very, very obvious and relationships. If you've got a Scandinavian parent, I think the generations before us were a lot more hooked into this. Now we're getting a little more loose and whatever loosened up. But, you know, they don't show their emotions. There's no highs. There's no lows. There's um, it's not like in the, you know, the Italian cultures, the Mediterranean cultures, where there's warmth, there's up, there's down, there's almost, you know, uh, manic and depressive. But here it's just pretty much an even keel of emotions and they're really very guarded. And as a matter of fact, um, uh, any expression of affection is very, very guarded. People don't know for sure. There's, there's not a lot of praise. But that's true in German cultures, too. I had a wow. German grandma who she didn't want to, they were never praising the kids because you did not want them to become proud or puffed up and get a big head. So that was a very cautious, careful uh, mm-hmm. way that they trained their children. So mm-hmm. there was no evidence. Well, Marjorie, let's let's take a look at these. Uh, we were talking about some of these characteristics, mm-hmm. and let's take a look at this uh, Yante law. Let's kind of go there right. point by point, and then we can kind of fill in the other. Yeah. Now, again, is my understanding is this is what Mr. Axel uh, Sandemos uh, did. Uh, it was his basically his description. Mm-hmm. 
of okay. what he he was describing life in this fictional Danish town that was really all but, yeah all too true. Well, let's do this. And, and the, there's day. ten of them here. There might be an eleventh one that we can get to. But um, and for just just a pause, if you want to talk with us on the Scandinavian Yanta Law, or you've got any comments, you can call us at three four seven two one five eight zero five one. And we'd be very interested to hear if you are of uh, Scandinavian descent. Again, we know every, like you said, honey, every, yeah. every, every nationality and culture has its own set right. of things. But we're just, we're well, just what we're doing is really describing about. a particular mindset that Satan has created around a whole culture and nationalities to keep them bound and constricted. First, this is the Yantala, number one. Do not think that you are anything special. What I'll do is I'll read through them and then we'll go back and discuss them. Do not think you are anything special. Two, do not think you are as important as we are. Notice the comparison. Do not think you are any wiser than we are. Four, do not fool yourself into thinking you are better than we are. Five, do not think you know more than we do. Six, do not think you are more than we are. Seven, do not think that you are good at anything. Eight, do not laugh at us. Nine, do not think that anyone cares about you. Ten, do not think you can teach us anything. Wow. Yeah, heavy duty. It it really is. So let's start at the top here and see what, what we have to say. Do not think you are anything special. Well, actually, what does the Word of God say about being special and worthy? And what is the devil's main thrust in, the terms, in terms of identity for all nationalities? That you're not worthy, you're not good enough, you're nothing special, being human, you're less than, because the devil is very jealous of us. So if I'm thinking I'm nothing special, then what kind of things happen? Is that really humility? No, it's not. But because the focus, if you focus on yourself, it's certainly not humility. Uh, someone said years ago, humility is such a fragile thing that he who even dares to think he has it, has it not. Yeah. But what I see, just to kind of mm-hmm. summarize, and we'll go back here point by point, it's this, there's this uh, focus equality. <laughs> it's this focus on everything being equal, everything being the same. Mm-hmm. And everything being about me and everything being... See, what I think happened back in the day, I think the the lure, the hook that Satan used to pull these Scandinavians into this agreement was this. They wanted peace. They wanted equality. These are two very good things. We would want peace and equality. They wanted community. Yeah, unity Mm -hmm. and community. but, But in the process of looking for peace, they got passivity. And in the process of looking for equality, they got mediocrity because now everybody has got to be the same. Nobody can have any aspirations or creativity or do anything different. That's why you notice a lot of the people, even in this uh, upper Midwest area, we, we, don't, we, we don't produce the kind of leadership and uh, you know, brave heart kind of guys because we used to be the Vikings. They used to be the Vikings. Well, yeah, we have. Uh, but we're back- not talking about the football team. But- about them well, because I think they, they have the same problem here. But anyway, Norwegian Vikings. I mean, yeah. And it'd be interesting. We we're not really prepared to expound on this tonight, but it'd be something to really look at. Is when you think of the 
Vikings. They were the adventurers. They were the explorers. They were just going to break new ground. They were courageous. They were courageous. They were going to go conquer. They were expressive. And expressive and, and just kind of wild. And then yeah, all of a wild. sudden, here's we see the opposite, mm-hmm. uh, almost the it was opposite, point by point, yes. uh, in, in, in a lot of the Scandinavian culture today. And yeah. basically what this is, it's it's a mentality. It's it's a uh, it's a social code that really has gotten into our. It's we're programmed with it. Well, yes, it is a social uh, code. Whether, I like that word. Whether we've been uh, consciously or unconsciously, mm-hmm. it's a uh, it's just a, a code and a mentality that uh, has a lot of destructive consequences. Well, you know, I think again going back to ideas of uh, equality um, and and. Mediocrity. We go back into the ideas of humility and and false humility. I think people pretend like, oh, you know, I, how many, you know, you, you, for example, in it, you'll be offered something, a gift or a, you know, a piece of pie or whatever. Oh no, I don't want it. Oh no, thank you. No, no, no. You really want it, but you just, oh no, you know, I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm so, um, what's the word, honey? So humble, so um, shy, so unable to be assertive enough to say, yeah, I'd love a piece of pie. Thank you. We say, oh no, that's fine. That's I, I'm fine. You know, I don't need anything. And we're just kind of like denying because uh, I'm nothing special. I don't. Mm. This is totally contrary to God, and this is the most fatal of all the lies in all forms of it. I'm no good. I'm never going to amount to anything. I'm less than than I'm unworthy. I'm nothing special. So really, when you stop and think about these ten agreements that were made by your people, by your ancestors. Uh, we need to stop and cancel them out. This is enough of this. This has gone far enough. And you'll find out when you actually start dealing with these that there are demonic spirits behind them because it's all—it's not all that easy to... It's, it's kind of like your, your, cult, your brain has been dyed into and dyed like a, into these things, a culture. Um, uh, oh, yeah. I, I think of, you know, remember when you're... Um uh, kind of the rule is oh. at times where if you know, do you want a piece of cake or do you want a bar? Oh yeah. You know, but just bake some new bars here. You know. And anyway, uh, you have to. You know, the rule is you kind of refuse three times. Oh, it's know, a three-time or, or rule. Huh? Coffee. You refuse three times, and then, uh, then you can go ahead and say, you know, oh well, okay, okay. Why yeah. Not, it's kind of like the Minnesota goodbyes too. We have a little <sighs> lot. We have a. Uh, it's a it's a laughable can horrible. I, can you, go I, ahead. Can I tell you about a Minnesota, Minnesota goodbye? No. Oh my goodness. Now, there's a lot of people. Now remember, if, here, I'm going to set the setting before you're saying this. Okay, it's summertime. It's very hot. There are mosquitoes outside. It is getting dark. It is getting late. The kids are crabby. They need to get in and get a bath. And you're standing out in the dark saying goodbye to your company. Or it's in the middle of the winter and you're trying to say goodbye to them. It's freezing outside. But here's the Minnesota goodbye. The Minnesota goodbye. I I can speak from experience. You know. Yes, back he does. In the day, when I grew up. Uh, you know, on a, on a farm, uh, rural Minnesota, near us, very small town. Aunts and uncles, we'd come over and visit each other. We'd, we'd say, let's go visiting, you know. Mm-hmm. So aunts and uncles, we, you just pop on over. Nobody would call. you just show up. So you always had to have your house perfectly dusted. This was a trip. Yeah, oh, people oh. would just show up. And for some city. reason, if nobody was home one place, you would just go to the, another place. If they weren't home, you just went home. But I remember my aunt, uh, aunt uncles would come over and. Uh, is this a Minnesota goodbye right now? This is this is a Minnesota <laughs> description of of this. Of a Minnesota yeah. goodbye, okay. So they'd come over, say in the winter time. Okay, 
So they've been visiting and maybe playing playing cards or just talking and you know they had some coffee, coffee and cake. Yeah, okay. okay. So let's okay, you want some more cake? Oh uh, no, no, no. I better not, you know, I just well, you know, after about the third time, oh okay, I'll have some more cake. And then how about some more coffee? No, no, I better not. Well, okay, I'll have some more. And then I said, okay, it's cold outside, so oh, we better get our coats, get the coats from off the bed. So we'll get the coats, and then we'll go outside, and then we'll get the coats. Oh, and then the, the uncle would say, oh, I better go warm up the car. So we'd go warm up the car. And then you come back in. How about some more coffee? How about some more cake? Okay. <laughs> and, and, and and then... They would go, you know. This is painful, man. And then I suppose, I well, I suppose we better get going now. And said, so, well, no, have some more coffee. Okay. Yeah. Well. Uh. Well, it's been nice, you know, being here tonight, and we'll see you. You have to come over again sometime. By the way, and then, you know, <laughs> did you order your seed corn yet? And, uh, no, <laughs> I haven't. Topic it goes. Yeah. It it would take forty five minutes to say goodbye. So, well, first, I remember Why the first time I went to New York. Yeah. They don't say goodbye like that. They don't. Yeah, now yeah, then it was like, oh, I have to use the bathroom. Better use the bathroom before I go. All that kind of stuff. But when I went to New York the first time, um uh in in the ghetto area, uh, people say goodbye. They just they just I'll see ya. Like that. They're gone. And it takes a second. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing people, Christian people. Okay, these are these are staff people in the church. They're eyeball to eyeball, waving their arms, yelling at each other in each other's faces. And I'm thinking, these guys hate each other. Mm-hmm. And, and, and and then they would just, when they're done talking, they just take off. And I realized that they didn't hate each other. Mm-hmm. That's just the way they address it. Mm-hmm. Now, if you do that with and a And they norm, honk a lot in New York, too, don't they? Oh, yeah. But, but, I mean, it's it's a whole... Different, different uh, uh, mindset than what we have here. So the Minnesota goodbyes can be very laborious and very taxing and very annoying, especially if you're in a hurry and you have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. So, okay. So, so that's part of it. So number two, do not think that you are as important as we are. Notice in all of these, there's an innuendo of comparison. Um, who are we? Who are they? Who are the they that are examining your life? You're not as important as we are. It seems like there's some... A hidden force or God or dictator that's uh, examining your life and you're coming up short so you're not important and there's tons of comparison um, do not think you're as important as we are well or as wealthy as we are or anything like that so there's always the comparison factor competition comparison without ever making a, a, a an obvious note of it you know we're not going to obviously compare ourselves but we are subtly going to church seeing what they're wearing looking around seeing what you know think what they might be thinking of us and worrying about how we're being seen by other people this is called vanity this is called uh what is this called honey what's another word for it pride pride vanity well, yeah it's, it's, and i remember going up in a rural area there where it's like okay um if, if a guy a farmer had uh, three silos. Two farmers had three silos on the farm, and then uh, the guy down the other the other farmer um, puts up a fourth silo. Ooh, 
What happens? Whoa. Well, it's just kind of like, oh, man. Who does he think he is, right? So, yeah, who yeah, does you he can't, think he is? Yeah, he's, he must he's have breaking a, the rules. He must have a lot of money, or he might maybe he went into debt. or. But see, or the thing is, they yeah. always have to have everything the same. I, I, I heard something one time, a little joke, someone said that the Scandinavian grandpa had said, well, we better keep our fingers in our pockets because we've got a couple fingers that are longer than the other ones. And we wouldn't want anybody to know. They've all got to be the same. Everything's got to be the same. And you're really right about that. It's like all competition, keeping up with the Joneses, never being godliness with contentment, never being okay with who you are, always being okay with who you are, depending on how okay they are with you. And they're never going to be okay with you because they're always jealous of you. And you cannot, there's no way for love to get in here to know and be known because it's always about comparisons. It's always about, you know, uh, crashing in on our identity and our self-concept. So three, do not think we you are wiser than we are. Well, again, um, the the wisdom that we as Christians carry is a wisdom that comes from God. Mm-hmm. It's not about you know man's wisdom, which it says in James is demonic. So uh, when people well, are working, it, yeah, go ahead. The whole thing that Paul says, if we compare ourselves with, with ourselves, ourselves, we're, we're not, not wise. wise. Mm-hmm. So there, that kind of blows it all away right there. Yes. If you look at the Word of God, uh, comparing ourselves with one another is not a wise thing to do. Well, the devil wants us to do that because it becomes very distracting and very motivating, temporarily motivating to get you up and go do something and work hard, but going in the wrong direction, pursuing something that's totally worthless. Um, and that's what, what we do, you know, get that fourth silo, get that new garage, get that new uh whatever it is you've got to have to be okay again because your okayness is always depending on whatever he's got. And if everybody's got a little more than your okayness has just slipped down today. So now you have to go buy a new rug or a new, a new, you know, dishwasher or whatever it is to be okay again. Interesting about that. Everybody wants to be the same, but you, you secretly in your heart. You always want to have a little edge mm-hmm. or you're better than somebody else. Truly. And, and I know, I know communities that, for example, I was just talking to someone recently how they, uh, they, they put their children in these highly competitive baseball, basketball, sports programs. And, I mean, it's just uh, it's, it's really like having a thoroughbred, thoroughbred racehorse. Your son, your daughter is competing to make you look good, and, and they all want to have a secret edge. So if there's a, a possibility of an option of a special training or advancement or extra practice, they're trying to do this without letting anybody else know it so that their child has a little bit of an edge over the other kids. And this just becomes a godless idolatry. And, and it's very abusive, actually, because your children then become like objects in your hand to, uh, you know, raise your self-worth, self-esteem. Right. And that approach is not confined to Scandinavians. That's, well, that's pretty much, I don't know. Uh, I mostly live in this area. Uh, so I, really... I see it, you know, across the board. I mean, okay. the sports is just a super. Well, you know, sports thing. is a subject for next week. But yeah. <laughs> but anyway, but, you know, I think number four is really interesting. Do not fool yourself into thinking you are better than we are. Um, you know, even if you, it says, um, Shall not, thou shalt not presume or, or indulge, should say, indulge in the conceit of imagining that thou art better than us. So in one way it's written, indulge in the conceit. Don't be conceited into imagining or thinking uh, in any way that you are better than us. So in other words, if you have a creative idea or if you have a new idea or if you have something you, that's different, it's, it's, they're, they're already labeling it as conceited and, you know, a vain, a vanity. 
So anybody who wants to invent something or do something different or step out of the mainstream or, or follow the Lord in, in a true uh, servanthood heart is being con- see their, their their service for God is seen as seen as vanity or conceit. How many times have I heard uh, uh, when I grew up that old phrase? That's different. What that's does that di- mean? That's different. In other words, they they something come across somebody dresses a certain way or does something a little diff- different. Mm-hmm. They don't follow what they think is a conventional approach to life, or or dress, or so. Then what or, do they do when they see they're this doing? person? They'll say, "Well, that's that's different." Yeah. So I mean, so nothing can be different. If anything's different, it's not okay. So, so, so it's like, well, it's so just parent, like we don't have a category for that, and I don't know if that's we think. Is, I wonder I don't what know your if that's parents, really okay. I wonder what your parents thought about me when they saw me, you know, because. I didn't, you know, I, I'll have to tell you, this is kind of a, this was a shocker to me the first time I went to Jerry's family. And, you know, Scandinavians, they eat all white food. It's got to be on one shade of white or another. And the, the hardest, the hardest their spices get the most spicy. Their spice is cinnamon. That's it. That's the max on spices. That Everything's white bread, corn. That was a little color, but white everything, white gravy, uh, rumagrat, lefsa, uh, bleached fish. Uh, yeah, all, everything's white butter. You don't get anything like sauerkraut, sausage. You don't get, um, you know, any fruits really. It's just oh, and I and the bowls are just the right size, and there's just one bowl, and it has just exactly enough food in it for everybody to eat one serving, and one person like that or something can get one extra. But there's not an abundance of anything on the table that would make you think this is we're going to dig in here. We're going to all have this very dignified, appropriate meal, and everybody's going to go away from the table just a little bit hungry, probably. In my family, we had two sets of bowls on both on each end of the table. We we had one rule, and that was keep your feet on the floor when you're passing, when you're reaching, when you're taking something off the plate. You don't have to say please, you don't have to say thank you, and everything with a lot of color in it, and lots of ketchup, and lots of condiments, and lots of all that kind of stuff. And and it was just like. Oh, this place is so quiet, and everything is there's no no noise here. Well, part of it too was that you know you had three times as many kids in your family as well. As I did. That's so, but true. I, I, I point point well taken yeah. though. But yeah, the white food was really part of the culture, and if you think about it, you know even the the case the foods we like to eat the bland come down in through our bloodlines come down through our generational territories the, the territory yeah, of birth. Yeah, some people you know. Uh, some some uh, Scandinavians think of, you know, c- ketchup is like a hot sauce. You know. I know your wasn't your dad who put ketchup on his pizza or something, or did you? He, do that? The first time he ate. Uh, no, he put pizza. He put white caro syrup on it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's well, pretty good. I Grandpa. love my dad. He was a great. great but he great probably guy. just didn't know what else to do with it. It was so colorful. He well, had a, yeah. Add I a mean, little sugar to it. Yeah. <laughs> something. Okay, so number five. Let's see. We're going through the rules now. Uh, thou shalt not presume that thou art more knowledgeable than us. So everything, anything that's different is called a presumption. And um, you can't know anything more. You can't be wiser. Um, so what's the point of trying to do anything different unless you move out of the country? It's kind of an unspoken rule that you just can't grow much, change much. You have to just go on with, you know, generation after generation of this is the be, way we do it. Be average. Yeah, be average. Whatever you do, be average. And Otherwise, you're afraid. You're, there's fears growing up in here that if 
If I do something different, they're going to talk about me. Um, I'm going to be the talk of the town. Um, if I go off to college, then they're going to say, well, who does she think she is? Or, you know, I mean, anytime you do anything different, you are in jeopardy of being judged, you know, judged as a know-it-all, as someone who's breaking the rules, someone who's different. Someone. So you have this in, innate training inside of you to never want to take a risk, uh, go for it. Play uh, it safe. Yeah, you're going to play it safe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, number six, thou shalt not presume thou art more than us in any way. In other words, just don't even go there. You're not more than us in any way. You've got nothing to offer that the rest of us don't already have, too. So that goes back to that equality or uh, mediocrity and really capping on the gifts of the Spirit. If we're led by the Spirit of God, where Jesus teaches and, and treats each of us as unique, specially crafted uh, individuals, his workmanship, he doesn't make all the teacups look the same, you know, um, and all the vessels are not the same. But anyway, so... Um, Verse uh, number six, thou shalt not presume thou art more than us in any way. So we go back again, like we said, to um, being, playing it safe, being like everybody wants us to be. Number seven, thou shalt not presume thou art going to amount to anything. Isn't that a uh, devastation? One of the other uh, alternative renderings of that is that you're not to think you are good at anything. Yeah. So it's like. That's pretty uh, devastating. We, we mentioned that earlier. And then this, you know, with. If the idea, well, well, we don't want to affirm somebody if they're doing something really well. Uh, Can't praise them. Because they might get the big head. Right. And we don't want anybody to get the big head. Now, it's interesting. Can you just, go ahead. I was just going to say. It's interesting with this is that um, there there's a criticism of individual success and achievement as unworthy and inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. It's interesting if somebody scolds there's there's the there's a there's a double Yeah, yeah, yeah. Torture act. Here. Mm-hmm. Torture act here. We scold the successful, we criticize the successful, yet we're envious of their success. And not only That's that That's a big part of that. Not only that, but on the same torture rack we have those we're 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 saying you you're not gonna amount to anything. You're no good. And on the other side we're pushing them to achieve better than so that we can look good. You know, we can get ahead, get that edge. So, so we're giving same, a double message. The, yeah, really. It's like we should all be the same, but we're always looking for the edge. Right. And if you tell your child you're not going to amount to anything. That's really tough. Well, how many of us grew up with our parents not putting any input into us emotionally and not really saying, well, honey, I see that you have a real gift here in this area. You know what? You've got a real knack for that. You know, I, I, I think that's what God gifted you to do. In other words, it's, there's no information. There's nothing said. There's no, no input into these little lives to let them know or see or think that they're anything special or that they can do anything well. Well, so if there's no uh, affirmation, Without affirmation, there's really no motivation. Right. And it's not that you're and flattering. It's not that you're flattering somebody. It's just that it's honestly recognizing an ability or an achievement of someone. Say, wow, that's great. You but know, when we don't even do that with our own kids, we don't give them any information through the affirmation. There's no motivation. You know, there's no say that again. That's good. There's no information given through an affirmation. 
So therefore, there is no motivation for the child to look any further than, you know, just whatever he kind of enslaved by the public day. And and without the motivation, there's really no accomplishment. No, no vision. The accomplishment, uh, the scripture says, without a vision, the people perish. Exactly. So if there is accomplishment, it is not to be done to make yourself look better than somebody else. Yeah, it's to be able to be a help well, and a blessing to other people, mm-hmm. to if you know as, as to serve God as effectively as possible in His kingdom. Yeah, but see the thing is, um, to, it, it all will sum up into it's all about me. It's all about how they see me. It's all about me, 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 me trying to make them like me, trying to make them uh, proud of me. And there's no, there's no, you know. I think the worst thing about it though is that you just. There's no knowing the person. There's no expression of information through emotion. Mm-hmm. It, emotion is is got to be downplayed. It's got to be held under wraps. There's there's just you you're just calm. You don't make it. It's just it's annoying. It is annoying because it, I think it's divination. Because you know I'd rather know what somebody's thinking, even if they're under the influence of a demon at that moment a little bit. I'd rather know where they're at. Then someone said, oh, it's, it's fine, and smile with you. And you know that they're not liking it at all. They're going to go home and gossip about you and think evil things. But they're not honest with you so, enough to tell so, you. So Minnesota nice is not really nice. No, Minnesota nice is ice. Okay. <laughs> it's really yeah. not. It's really not warmth. It's, it's just, you know. Uh, well, it's, it's phoniness. It's phony. Minnesota nice is phony. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. I mean, it's not that we can't be, you know, kind and caring. And it's not but that we have to be throwing e- emotional fits every 20 seconds to have drama, drama, drama in our life. That's not what it's about either. It's really about passion, compassion, you know, knowing that God loves us and that we love him. It's about love. And this love is totally by this demonic spirit, totally capped on, put on ice, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Oh, the next one is very interesting. Number, Number eight. eight yeah. thou, art, thou, art, thou art not entitled to laugh at us. Um, it's... You are not to laugh at us. Do you know how offended, how defensive, how t- people take it personally in this culture? Uh, many of them, they can't laugh at themselves. They don't take any, they take it as a personal offense. Mm. If you bring up anything about them and they'll say something like, you know, if you bring up anything uh, to call any attention to um, their character or their, the, the first thing that'll come out of their mouth usually is something like, well, what about you? Yeah. Well, and, and somebody you know, laughing at you, basically, what is that? If well, you can't take it, 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 part of it is is you're very insecure, insecure in yeah. who you are Sensitive. as a person. Super, super insecure because it's all about you again, and it's about making being made fun of, uh, being shamed, ridiculed. You can't laugh at yourself. Um, it comes to just a kind of like a, uh, yes. It, it's, so look at this for a minute, you know, people who... Anything is any flaw. Anything is pointed out in their life to them that is maybe not even directly related to them, but they take it personally. Um, the example I, I is used and three four seven two one five eight zero five one. If you want to call us on this three four seven two one five eight zero five one, is they the take it personal. Um, for example, in a in a husband wife relationship, for example, let's just say that the garage door uh, isn't shutting properly. And, of course, um, you don't really know much about garage doors. Uh, and you tell your husband, 
okay, honey, the garage door isn't shutting. It, it, I can't get it to go down. It's um, stuck or whatever. If that person, the husband, was that, you know what? Nothing is ever good enough for you. Nothing is ever right. I can't do anything right. That all comes out of the antala. I mean, I know mm-hmm. other people have those same things. Mm-hmm. But when you're starting to take, you know, it's about the garage door, honey. It's not about you. Uh, well, the the person that's hearing it is taking it. I need to be fixing everything. I need to be absolutely everything you want me to be at all times um, so that you will, um, you know, not find any fault with me. Because in the Yanta law, it's very critical that no one is able to find a fault with you when they're judging you. So you have to be absolutely, uh, you know, able to complete every task, do everything perfectly. But in the process, you become very bitter because you say, you know what? Because that person, you're reading into that simple needing, the, the garage door needs fixing, you're reading into there a message of uh, criticism about you, and you're taking it personally. You're not saying, well, yeah, honey, I know I've looked at that already. I think we have to get the repairman out here, or I haven't even noticed that yet, or yeah, we can, we can take care of that. No, it's, it's all about, you know, I can't do anything good enough. And uh, this becomes a big breach in now next time the wife has a problem, what's she going to say to the husband who's always taking it personally or vice versa? We have Scandinavian women who uh, also are, you know, husband says something, they take it personal, she's not good enough, and it just goes the same direction of um, bitterness. This this is a, a little bit perplexing here because there's there's you see all the way through here there's this, tug of war mm-hmm. you know you want to be better but you're supposed to be the same you're jealous of you want to be successful uh, but those who are successful are criticized and you're no better than anybody else you're just you're just all Tangled doing up. whatever you can to be mediocre <laughs> okay I'm just trying to be mediocre yeah, you're, leave you're, me you're, alone you're just <laughs> driving yourself nuts Trying to be <laughs> apathetic and passive and mediocre, yet at the same time, there's a perfectionistic yeah, part of this. Really, how does that work? You want to be, you're 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 mediocre. You're, you're to think of yourself yeah, as mediocre, but you're to be perfectionistic at the same time because there's just you can't let anybody see, see that you've flaws. got some faults. Mm-hmm. How does how does that work? Well, it's called a torture rack, and it creates a great deal of pain and lots of being just simply stuck. You can never, you know, amount to anything because you're always trying to be perfect on the one hand and yet constricted on the other. It's, it's, um, it's you know, like trying to move forward, forward with a noose tucked around, uh, around your neck. Number nine, this law is probably the worst of all. Thou shalt never imagine that anyone cares about you. Um, you are not to think anyone cares about you or loves you. So this is the fatal flaw. If I cannot believe that anybody cares about me or loves me, how will the love of God ever get into my life to transform me? If I am, this is the, this is the, this is the, uh, very demonic. Well, this is the, the way rejection comes in. How can you love me? I can't believe you can love me. Can you really love me? I don't think anybody can love me. How can anybody love me? It's all about, you know, you see yourself so mediocre already that you can't even find a way to love yourself. And so you're sure that nobody else can see past all that gunk either to find the real you in there because no one's yet discovered who that might be. So no one cares about thee. That has got to be the uh, the biggest open door for rejection 
that that in all these laws. And so it's a mentality that I am not worthy of love. Right. And how can I mean it's it's a you're so it, it goes back to worthy worthlessness. How can anybody love me? Because of course it's all based on worth and earning. When love, by very definition, cannot be earned, it is unconditional. God's love is unconditional. But the devil has made it conditional. And then he's made, because you're so full of flaws and faults, and as, have you been, as you've been compared and criticized and judged and scrutinized, you've come up short on every level. There is no way that anybody could possibly care about you because the devil makes it all about conditions, a conditional love. So this, is a, this spirit has got to be exposed and rejected. And the final... Ten, tenth law is thou shalt not suppose that thou can teach us anything. This goes back to um, can't know anything, um, not a, any wiser than us, any smarter than we are. Um, so we can't know anything. We can't teach. Uh, and Jesus, yet yeah, he calls us to be teachers, to be followers. To be teachable. To be teachable and to make this about the kingdom of God and not about ourselves. But this is this whole yantala is actually an idol, actually an idolatrous mindset that entangles, as we've kind of explained that tonight, it entangles and destroys people's lives. Now, um, I think that, you know, it's time that we would understand there's more we can say. Um, but let's just look at some of the effects that this is creating. And then let's finally wrap this up with a little bit of how to break this. Uh, how to get rid of this yantala, and because um, I think that how to overcome it. So, what does the yantala um, create? Well, one of the things I see it creating, and we've talked about this already, is an, an appearance of humility, when in fact it's pride. I think mm-hmm. you said that, Jerry. It's a it's a false humility. It's a false, and it's it's a it's lie. It's a lie. It's mm-hmm. false humility. Humility. Another one is the passive rather than active faith. You know, it's kind of accepting that fatalistic, it is, it is what it is, it will be what it is, um, and replaces the faith in God. Um, and there's a lethargy that is difficult to overcome. It's kind of an inertia that's difficult to overcome because people are just saying, well, what's the point of doing anything? You're stepping up or stepping out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and just along with that, there's, there's, uh, uh, there's uh, uh, you, you socialize, you don't like confrontations. Yeah, so you avoid you them. You don't want to avoid confrontation. Um, and it doesn't mean that you're looking to pick a fight. It's just like there's times where you just need to just talk. Well, or you, out you don't freely. think you have anything to offer. You don't think right. that you have anything to say. And another thing is that uh, you socialize mostly with like-minded people. Now, I think we tend to do that anyway. But I think there's a very insecurity there where you've got to view with people just like you. You you're very uncomfortable with somebody that maybe thinks a little different, looks a little mm-hmm. different, a little different different race even or something like that. Well, and then you're going to have that passivity that that goes along with that lethargy and difficult to overcome. So you sit down and give up before you get started. And then there's the the shyness, the isolation. We talked about what do they think. Self-consciousness. Yeah. Very um, self-conscious. Don't talk about private matters, lack of patterns. I think there's Uh, also a lie that we haven't really talked about yet. It's really sticking to the roof. The legal laws that we've been handed. Um, we're going to into religion and legalism, and we're not moving free in the spirit because we have a false notion that this religious spirit is the way we observe. So we're looking at a uniformity rather than true unity. Unity can accommodate can diversity. We want every uniformity means everything is the same. Mm-hmm. Unity. 
unity means we can be together, but we're going to be different. Body, uh, uh, everything, and there's a little difference. It's diverse, but it's nonetheless quite united. Thank you, Jesus, or I wouldn't be here. Right, and then and there's a lot of you know, uh, fear, anxiety, depression. It's a depression. Uh, uh, shame. Big time. I am shame bad. I'm no is, good. Shame is a is a is a big thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I heard this. You heard this expression, "shame on you." Mm-hmm. Uh, Another I, one like that. You should have known. Yeah, that's right. So shame, shame on you. You should have shame known. Shame on you. That was something that you know. Yeah. You, know, you heard a lot, even if I didn't. How can hear it. I know something that I've never thought because nobody's ever taken the time to exp- you know instruct me in it? But I should know now. Shame, shame on you because I know what I know. Mm-hmm. So unfair. And that's what people get angry and upset, too, because it's wrong. There's a lot of injustice in this whole thing that makes kids really rebellious. Yeah, and then, and then the whole the, the jealousy and envy. In, in Around 1998, there was a strike from the Swedes, mm-hmm. and um, they asked what was the top traits that identi- by which they identified themselves. And the number one trait, I think it was like 46 or 49%, of the Swedes said it was uh, envious would be the wow. number one trait to dis- describe them as being envious or jealous of their neighbors. Yeah. Whoa, that's that's a good that's a good characteristic to get rid of. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, and in going back to this envy, and this puts a kibosh on you know good works or you know it, it, there's a resistance, there's a built-in fear of being courageous in leadership or, or making a bold statement or being a statesman or taking any kind of a stand on anything. Um, and it also, uh, you know, cuts off grace because grace, you know, legalism says we're going to stick by the rules, stick by our traditions. Um, and grace says, uh, but, uh, you know, but for the love of God, you know, God loves us. God's long suffering. God is patient. So there is, like you said, that spirit of envy, judgment, suspicion, um, rather than even in the church, in that in the place of Christian fellowship, there's suspicion and laws, traditions, legalism. And again, there's a big cap on emotions, making people feel emotionally restrained or um, have to control themselves, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's, you know, I, I know that there's more we could say. Do you want to wrap up a few minutes? Uh, well, I just want to say this, and then, then you could maybe share some things about how if, mm-hmm. if there are those that are under this, and we're under this to a, a lot of people here in the upper Midwest of Scandinavian descent are, you know, uh, mostly unconsciously under this yeah. spirit. Uh, it's interesting, the the Axel Sandemos who wrote the uh the book, the yeah. book, a fugitive crosses his tracks, where he brought out this Yante law. Here's what he wrote about that law. He says the law of the Yante was not merely a set of laws; it was the very core of the speech of the people. All they ever said could be traced back to the law of Yante. By means of the law of Yante, people stamp out each other's chances in life. Wow. That's pretty powerful. So he, yeah, it was, and and obviously they didn't believe what he said because they took this very 
core of ideas and they brought it forth in their churches and put it in their liturgy and actually as congregations came into agreement with it on their Sunday morning worship services when they 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 you know they do the liturgy and they repeat that make those agreements and so this thing was established like 150 probably 175 well, years ago well really and and I, my understanding is that i don't know if it's as much today but it was really an operating principle that this yante law was almost used in in place of the 10 commandments yes and this is it definitely was, yeah. yeah and and it's it's a it's a demonic curse that is put upon people. Let me give you a quick run through of what it actually, the fruit of this thing, um, because by their fruits you shall know them. This is the fruit of the Yantila. Pride, fear, restrictions, limitations, insecurity, inadequacy, not loved, insignificant, fear of rejection, not feeling significant, passive, peace uh, versus peace, always something wrong with lethargic, depressed, inferior, worthless, stupid, why try? Not as good as, not entitled to, enslaved by the public opinions of others, not qualified or confident to argue a point or have an opinion, less than, stifled, feelings and desires shut down, not, um, will not amount to anything, immobilized, stop, stop, shut down, stuck, can't laugh at themselves, defensive, not lovable, unsure of love, rejection, unteachable, difficult to talk to, fear of what people will think, shame, don't want attention called to themselves, and yet always looking at themselves. Don't know, confusion. We have shame, pride, I can't be vulnerable. Take corrections as a personal offense, false humility, perfectionism, performance, driven by the opinions of others, idolatry of self, controlled by the public they, withholding of love and praise, self-judgment, self-blame, and self-hatred. Now, these are a few little things that need to be overcome, I would say, in our lives with Christ. And so let's look at how to overcome them. We've got to get free from this. There's five steps, basically. Step number one, identify the stronghold in your own particular life. Look at how um, the the things that we've talked about tonight, use those as kind of a way to look at yourself honestly. Let the Holy Spirit examine you and identify the stronghold. If you're Scandinavian, it's there. It may not be as as well-defined. It may have eroded away a little bit. Maybe you're... You've actually taken some steps to break the curses of the Yantala. And uh, for those people who have, there's a, a change, obviously. But um, so this, this unhealthy and unhappy way of responding to life, this negativity begins the process of deliverance. So you identify what are the spirits, what are the ideas, what are the lies, what are the agreements that have been made by your people you know, we're never going to, these 10 things, we're never going to make, make it or amount to anything. Um, there's something wrong with me. No one ever, is ever going to love me. All these various lies. And I would say write them down. You're identifying the strong. The next thing you do, number two, you confess your attachment or your allegiance or your agreement with those lies. Um, acknowledge truthfully to yourself where you've been influenced by those lies more than the truth, where you've sold out to God by sticking with tradition and the curses, the fears, the fear of others uh, controlled by that public they, uh, the laws of the flesh rather than the laws of the spirit that have guarded, governed your life. So you confess those agreements as sin and an abomination, according to First John chapter 1, verse 8, confess those uh, sins, including uh, being held back by a false humility, the passivity, the spirit of lethargy, cowardice, um, and denying the word of the Lord. Uh, this is this is not going to work for you in the end days. We cannot be cowards in these days, and we must be honest, loyal, 
absolutely uh, devoted to the one true God and not to all this garbage of the territorial spirits of, of the Scandinavian countries. That's that You need to break out of that bondage by confessing those things as sin. I know you don't think of them as sin because you're so familiar with them because a familiar spirit is called a familiar spirit because you are familiar with it. And it's so normal to you. It doesn't even appear to be anything but legitimate and it is the way it is and it's normal life and it's life. Number three, you renounce the lies. You confess them, of course. You renounce them by uh, casting them, refusing the lies. Uh, renounce them, their impact on your life. Cancel them out. Expose the, tr- uh, the, uh, the truth. Declare the truth. Declare the truth in the place of the, law, of the lie. For example, um, in the first one, I am worthy. I'm created by God. I'm special. Second one, um, God has said, you know, he who compares himself with himself is not wise. We're not going to look at how we rate compared to someone else, the idolatry of, of, of other people's opinions, um, the fear of false pride in imagining things. When those could have been ideas and inspirations from God, we cast them down because we think of them as vain and, and conceited. Um, we, we must declare that the Holy Spirit is the one that leads us. So we also then begin to forgive other people, number four. So we forgive them. We release the, our, our ancestors from our judgments. We are not judging them. We're not making fun of them. We're not pointing. It's sad to see what your God-given generational bloodline and family was called to do that the devil has uh, subverted with this set of rules and laws. So we want to forgive them. That means you release them from your judgment and you turn the crimes that were committed against your family and your bloodline by the enemy over to God to the high court of heaven, to God, the righteous judge of all the earth, and say, you know, I release them from my judgment, and now what I want, I want that these enemies would be judged, these spirits that have come to us in the form of these laws, and that you'd restore unto us, Lord God, everything that's been stolen from us, so that in these last days, our bloodline will complete the task, the call that you died for us to complete and to do. And that's finally number five, standing in the truth, invite the Holy Spirit to bring you back to the truth, declare the truth, um, and that it's okay. I give a pro- appropriate. Ex- uh, I give permission uh, to walk in boldness rather than timidity. I give appropriate expression of my emotions rather than keeping them secret and hidden. Uh, I, I step out to do the will of God as He leads me. Invite Him to change my heart to bring forth the fruit of repentance. To cast off this false humility and this fear on every level. This shame and guilt. I ask you, Lord, to forgive me for believing lies that I'm no good, I'm never going to make it, and I declare I am who you say I am. And so when we begin to do do these things, number one, identify the lies. Number two, confess them, these agreements that were made. Confess them as sin and an abomination to the Lord. Uh, And third, you renounce the lies and declare the truth in its place. I renounce the evil forces of the devil, his empty promises and that... Uh, and that I've believed or been tricked into believing these lies, I rejected them. Take captive every thought. Make it subject to the obedience of Christ. Let the Holy Spirit lead you now. Not the, the, the yantala or the curses, but the Holy Spirit. And then finally, again, number five is declare the truth, stand in the truth, and declare God's word over yourself and your family. Well, a lot of uh, this, you know, it's as we work toward closing here this, uh, today, um, the whole issue of the Yante law it has to do with our identity, mm-hmm. with who we are. And really the Yante law uh, has, as this writer wrote about them, this fictional town that 
in, in the Antilah describing the characteristics uh, of these the people. Really, it was a false identity mm-hmm. uh, that uh, they lived in, and and we have that influence here yet today. And and things like this are not only uh, true of the Scandinavians, but there there there's aspects of this that are true for for all of us in many ways. But in Christ, we have a whole new identity. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a, a, a believer uh, in him, a Holy Spirit-filled believer, here is who you are. I'm going to run through this quickly. But this is the true identity that you uh, and I have as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I have scriptures for all this. I'm not going to give you the scriptures, but if you would want a copy of this, you can just uh, let us know, and we can get one for you. Um, As a believer in Christ, I am created in the image of God. I'm born again. I'm a child of God. I'm a new creation. I'm a saint. I'm an heir of God. I'm a joint heir with Christ. I'm a servant. I'm I'm a disciple. I'm a fisher of men, a witness. I am blessed, chosen, adopted, accepted, redeemed, forgiven. I'm saved, washed, holy, ordained, enriched, called, justified, sanctified, glorified, righteous, equipped, predestined, translated, delivered, free indeed. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit, a member of his household, a member of his church, a member of his body, a citizen of heaven, a pilgrim and a stranger on the earth. I am not of this world. I am seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I am a home for God. I am spirit-sealed, spirit-indwelled, spirit-gifted, spirit-fruitful, spirit-taught, spirit-led, spirit-empowered. I am dead to sin and alive to God. I am crucified with Christ, and I am risen with Christ. I am a fruitful branch of the true vine, a sheep who knows his voice and follows the good shepherd. I am a doer of the word of God, a partaker of the divine nature, and a living sacrifice. I am faithful in Christ Jesus. I am his workmanship. I am called to his purpose. I am an overcomer. I am more than a conqueror. And I am loved far beyond all my imagination. Amen. And those are all scriptures. Those are all promises, words, promises given to us by God. And if you want to make that declaration, you could say, I have the wisdom of God's spirit. God has gifted me to be a winner and overcomer. I am filled with the knowledge of God through his spirit, and I have the mind of Christ. God honors me as much as anyone else because God is no respecter of persons. God has given a destiny and a plan for my life. What others think or do will not control me because I am not bought and paid for by them. God loves me, and so do his people because I love them. And the God and God's law says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and thy neighbor as thyself, I have a teachable spirit. And finally, if you've prayed these prayers and believe these things, you may have to command command a spirit, a spirit, a, a demon, a liar, a stronghold, uh, a controller, to leave your life. There may be more than one. You may need to command spirits of fear, uh, vanity, pride, lethargy, um, rejection, unloving spirits to get out of you. Because if you don't, you will not be able to truly, freely receive from God the give, the healings and the blessings and the good things that he has for you. So we're hoping and praying that this has been a good night for you to hear, to understand, and that you can take some of these things and make a little comparison of your life and see how it looks in terms of your family. 
Um, these, uh, the uh, various uh, websites that we have identified and used tonight, we will be putting up on our website, on the Rescue Radio uh, website or on Life Recovery, I think. Life Recovery, probably that's where you check it out. Check it out under the Yantala, and we'll give you the links to the places that we've talked about tonight. Also, um, some very interesting news, just a change of pace here. Next week, it looks like we're going to be having a special guest on, um, uh, the author of The Blood Moons. Uh, to next April, uh, This coming April uh, 4th, uh, we're having our third Blood Moon in the Tetrad. This is the third of a series of four. Um, on the 20th of March, there was a total solar eclipse in Israel. That's usually a sign of bad things happening for the Gentiles, which... Um, we are looking to the heavens as the Lord would have marked his calendar with these various events in this past. So all these moons are appearing and coordinated with um, the Jewish feasts, the Passover, or the Sukkot, or the um, uh, Feast of Tabernacles, or Rosh Hashanah, various things. So this coming uh, Tuesday, we'll be having with us, the Lord willing, one of the authors. Um, and you'll join us for a brand new um penetrating look into what's really going on in this world today. Again, that's one thing we really need to be up on. So, okay. Um, well, we bless you. Thank you, honey. You yes. did a great job. Well. Are you we, delivered now? Yes. Oh, boy. Now <laughs> you, you, folks have learned a little bit of what I've had to deal with. What? What do you say? <laughs> I have to admit. Yeah, you can take a deal with print. a lot of that, but through Jesus Christ. Oh, I thought, I thought he was mean. He had a deal with me and so you guys can no no not you honey not you <laughs> oh you, i'm just you, a blessing you just in your life me to yeah, yeah. End, but just god go, knew you need growing to. up in that in my life so i mm-hmm. he knew i needed a good uh, well, german bohemian wife. lady that loves jesus <laughs> to help me now, through i suppose and, we could do something about I the have, german curses yeah we could do that i don't know we if anybody's do done something well we could do that for a lot of different yeah peoples. they're kind of bullheaded aren't they but Stubborn, through jesus yeah. christ we have the freedom. He's yeah, we're new set, creatures in Christ. So new creations. Old things. He who the Son is set free shall be free indeed. And old so. things pass away. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Have a good night and uh, be encouraged in the Lord and the power of his might. Amen. God bless you in the Lord. I have an emergency. What is your location? for your soul.